Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Sometimes an innocent conversation during an interview can have horrific consequences, especially if you end up not hiring the person. The biggest problem every company faces during the hiring process is, in my opinion, the interview. Two people go into a room together for a conversation and no one knows what transpires. Conversations flow and curiosity carries the conversation. As we all know, curiosity killed the cat and possibly your company. Let's replace curiosity with consistency because the lack of consistency is what breeds unfair interviewing practices by promoting assumptions and cultivating bias. By simply eliminating assumptions and bias from the interview, we can create a process where evidence is gathered that supports the decision, minimizing your exposure to future litigation. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest hires by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Victor Zhu. Victor is an attorney extraordinaire in the Fisher Phillips Irvine office where he represents companies in all aspects of labor and employment litigation from inception through trial in state and federal courts throughout California. Victor also has significant experience in conducting internal investigations into alleged employee supervisor misconduct, including harassment, discrimination, and has provided recommendations for remedial measures, including preparation of new company policies, which is what makes Victor the perfect expert for today's topic. Victor, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Thanks Show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you, my friend. Absolutely. Attorney extraordinaire. I'm going to have to put that on my uh, business card. You I should. Like, I like that. You I should. Like that. Today, we're going to discuss a few things. We're going to talk about ways that your interview might be getting you in trouble. Also, we're going to talk about how to set processes that minimize potential litigation in the interview. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. We're going to have some fun today. I talk about this a bunch, but I always like to bring in somebody like yourself who says, hey, look, at I can specifically point at cases all day long where people get themselves into trouble by saying stupid things or asking questions that are not relevant questions or going off topic or even making just simple inquiries deeper into things that are personal to get them into trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, especially in the startup space, you know, it's, it's a very fast paced type of culture. People, especially, you know, millennials who founded companies don't like the old sort of rigid way of, of doing things. And like, they like to create a culture that's, you know, inclusive, that's fun, that's, you know, um, casual. And, and I, I unfortunately am the person who comes in and goes, careful, careful, careful. Um, you know, and part of the things that, you know, a lot of startups. Well, let's talk about what inclusive means. I know where yeah, you're no, going no, with no, this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So inclusive means everybody, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it really starts at the hiring process is where, you know, people start running into trouble. And, you know, lawsuits in California have a long statute of limitations. Things that, you know, were fine in the beginning, um, you know, that you were before you put your processes in, before you put your systems into place, you know, can come back to haunt you later on when you're um, much larger three years later with you know a lot more employees the problems in the beginning where you go hey we'll worry about legal later we have a lot of other things to take care of right now it can still come back to haunt you so it's it's best and, and safest to start putting in processes in place especially at the hiring stage um, at inception 
God, that's so true because I hear executives say too, you know, we'll put in hiring process, we'll put in all these other things later, but it doesn't take that much time to actually sit there and build out at least a basic framework for how you're going to conduct your interviews, how you're going to run the process. It's got multiple benefits to it and there's no downside to it. So why not do it? Exactly. I mean, I, I call it, you know, an investment in the future of your company. Yeah. Uh, these, these processes you put in place and they will pay dividends later on because you are in California. And, you know, um, my running joke is, uh, you know, best advice is to move to Texas. But, you know, uh, <laughs> outside of that, outside of, you know, uh, taking the Tesla route, I think um, you really have to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. In God, California. who wants to live in Texas? Though? <laughs> what gets people into trouble when they're interviewing? The thing that gets in trouble, people in trouble is, you know, um, they don't have a plan. They don't have training. They just decide, hey, you know, we have a candidate coming in. Let's um, just grab somebody who's here today and uh, have them go talk to them. Um, you know, that's all good and fine. And, and I'm sure, you know, everybody's able to, you know, uh, to understand and be able to do an interview conceptually. But there's a lot of risks with someone shooting at the hip in an interview, asking certain questions, you know, especially as it gets more conversational, um, you know, it becomes uh, a place where, you know, everyday things that we say that aren't necessarily offensive, that aren't necessarily problematic, um, can create potential liability. Um, you know, as, as I've seen in, you know, as part of this great recession, I've seen an uptick in claims um, arising from the interview process. Um, in fact, some of these might be potential serial litigants who just interview with companies, um, latch on to certain things that were said in an interview, um, like you know, like you were saying, with, without anyone else present, without a record, and you know, latching on to these things that are said, and then sending a demand letter. And you know, uh, especially in our current atmosphere, where we're becoming more aware and more cognizant of you know, harassment, discrimination, things like that, um, particularly, say, in, in the tech space, um, people latch onto that and they try to leverage that, um, you know, to, to see settlements from these companies. And, and there's been, you know, a lot of uptick in this just because there's been so much movement. There's so many people that are, you know, uh, that are interviewing. I would imagine it's prime for a payday. You can reach out to an attorney and say, hey, look at these guys discriminated against me because I'm old or for whatever reason. And it may or may not be the case, but the truth is that the easiest way to get some sort of payday is to do that. And then, sure. you know, the company settles and puts it away. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't valid claims. Obviously, there are. But, no. but you know, sometimes you do question the motives of these people, right? Um, when they grasp onto something like, you know, for example, um, you know, I had, I had a claim where somebody basically said, hey, I think the music here might be too loud for you. Now, this somehow warped into a discrimination claim where, you know, it's a company with younger people and, and this uh, claimant was over 40 and they, they perceived that as them, you know, making a comment about their age. Um, now, you know, the people who made that statement, uh, you know, I'm sure they meant the best or they're at least adamant about the fact that they didn't mean anything by it. They literally just meant the music was loud. So, you know, it's um, it, it and, and, you know, that issue can be easily fixed by some preparation, understanding how to ask the questions. Because look, honestly, most people, when they're asking interview questions, they're trying to get at you know, um, whether this person's a good fit for the company in terms of the culture, in terms of the work. But sometimes the questions they're asking are just not the right questions. There are better ways of asking those questions, and you learn how to ask those questions better by, you know, um, by preparation, by preparing questions. Well, I don't see how that would be something that you would bring up in an interview that would be relevant to whether or not somebody would be a viable person for the role. 
by asking, hey, is the music too loud for you? Unless the person said, hey, wow, your music's really loud. Why would you bring up something that could be a potential problem that's not really a problem unless somebody brings it up? And, and sometimes that's, again, you know, the person who did the interview probably was not fully prepared for yeah, it. Might yeah. have been handed a resume five minutes before while they were working something else. Most likely. Got, got <laughs> in, um, was like, well, what, what, what do I ask them? Okay, yeah, our music's loud. Let's talk about that. Just have a conversation with them. Exactly. That's usually the instruction that goes on. Yeah, and, you know, just see if this person fits our culture. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I can imagine that gets you into a lot of trouble more so than asking skills questions or something right. like that. Because culture is something that everybody tries to hire for but you can ask a lot of really dumb questions that could probably get you in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about dumb questions because this is kind of fun. What other kind of dumb questions can somebody ask? And it's not really a dumb question, but it, like something that caused a problem. Right. So, you know, there's I'd say there's two types of dumb questions. One purely illegal ones that you can't ask about yeah. someone's disability, about uh, whether someone's filed a worker's comp claim in the past. Um, whether, you know, in California, whether they've been convicted of a crime prior to, you know, um, making the employment offer. And then there are the um, gray area dumb questions or, or dumb questions that could lead someone to interpret it a certain way. So, for example, somebody might ask, oh, hey, is that is that a French last name? Now, you know, I'm giving an example that's part of the pro I mean, it seems harmless. It's just an offhand comment. But, you know, that can be interpreted as national origin uh, discrimination. Yeah. If the person doesn't get the job in the end, they yeah. go, well, it's because they asked me about my last name and where I came from or wh what they perceive, you know, my national origin to be. Um, you know, there's other questions like, more common ones. Are you married? Um, why is that relevant to the job? It's uh, not. Exactly. Don't ask that. I encourage people that even if somebody brings it up that they're married and they talk about their kids, move on from it quickly and go to something else. Right. So you're not having a conversation exactly. about that. Exactly. This is why it's really important that you have pre-planned out questions right. that you're given so that you can just execute those. Right. Exactly. I mean, pre-planned questions and also I think what might be more valuable, depending on the work environment, having a pre-planned set of no questions. Do not ask this. Don't ask if, um, you know, a female candidate, if they intend to, or any candidate, if they intend to have children. Um, why is that relevant? Don't ask. You know, that, that kind of thing comes <laughs> up, right? Because the candidate yeah. will look at your photo with your family, talk about your kids, and then it's natural in conversation to be like, hey, um, do you plan to have kids? Do you have kids? Well, it's it's... That's all fine and good in normal conversation, but that's how you lead to, you know, gender discrimination claim, a, you know, uh, all kinds of potential issues. Especially if you don't hire the person. Exactly. But can it create issues if you do hire the person? It still can. It yeah. still can. If someone gets fired and later on, you know, um, you know, they get hired, they're let go for whatever reason, they can come back and say, hey, you know, um, the X discrimination based on, you know, X protected characteristic began even at my interview. And then it only continued on during my employment, and I was terminated as a result. And now you've got a bigger litigation. Exactly. Cost. Yeah, emotional distress. You can yep. get the whole, with the whole, lot yep. more. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Our goal here on the show is to get people to a point where, like, they don't make the wrong hiring decisions. Right. Bringing people through the process so that essentially, when they make a hire, somebody's going to stick for a long time. They align well with the values of the company. Right. They thrive, and we avoid these things. Exactly. Taking the time to just put this stuff in place will save you a ton of headache in the long run. Now you may not ever get hit with anything. And if you don't, would you consider them to be lucky? In California, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs>
what would be the one reason why a company should really kind of pay attention to this or why should they put a system in play before they start interviewing people? I think it's best to set these things up in advance, in the beginning. Decide who are, who's going to be your normal interview team. Train those people up. Make them understand how to interview, how to go through the process, what to ask, what not to ask. And also just have a template in place if you need to bring somebody else in who, who's, you know, who isn't the normal person interviewing, but who might have some relevant input for the new hire. So you know, being able to hand them something and say, hey, this, these are the questions that you should ask. These are the questions that you shouldn't ask. And, you know, at the same time, being able to, you know, uh, still engage with the person to still be able to ask the relevant questions for your business. And, and the reason you put that place in the, uh, into place in the beginning is, you know, like I said, there's, there are long statute of limitations in California. You know, wage claims, for example, can go back four years. Harassment claims can go back three years. So there's... It probably doesn't matter too much if the company fails. But if the company succeeds, exactly. that's probably exactly. when you're in the worst position. I, I yeah, I, I I would say the mid-sized growth period is what I call the danger zone. When wow. you have over 100 employees, you're, you're starting to grow. This is when you get hit with a lawsuit. That's when you become a target. When you're a little smaller, maybe you'll be able to float under the radar for a little bit. But, you know, eventually that can come back to haunt you. Um, I assume you want your company to be successful. You want to grow. But, you know, with that, you don't want all of that growth to be undercut by an enormous lawsuit. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your company's secret weapon to win winning the strongest talent. Our guest today is Mr. Victor Zhu, and Victor and I are discussing the litigation points of the interview. Now, I talked about this a bunch, and, and I'm so glad to have you on here because maybe people don't believe me. But when they get <laughs> stuck with a lawsuit in the future, we want them to avoid that. We just talked a little bit about the danger zone, which is when you start getting successful, that's when you're most vulnerable. Let's talk about how we solve this problem. Let's break this down for our audience, the steps they need to take in order for them to highly mitigate this risk for this happening. Right. So going back to what I was saying before, the first step to take is to train people. You, you can't train everybody. Um, you know, you're... Um, you know, your administrative assistants don't necessarily need to be trained up on, you know, uh, doing interviews unless it's something relevant to their job. So choose the people that you want um, to do the interviews. Now, you want to choose the people that you think are good for interviewing. I, I've run into situations where, you know, there's a demand letter and I talk to my client and they're like, oh, you know, I, I knew this was going to happen. We had just using a name you can, out there. You can just say me. That's fine. Pressure. There you yeah. go. You know, um, you know, Rick always shoots at the hip. He just says whatever's on, um, you know, on his mind. And my question is, why was Rick interviewing this person then? Well, they, they just, well, he was in the office. Well, there's this concept, especially in tech companies, where they want everybody to buy in. Everybody gets to interview somebody and they all get a say. And I think that's a dangerous concept in itself. I think so, too. I mean, in any company, different people are good at different things. Some folks might just not be too good at doing interviews. So, you know, you don't want that, both from a legal perspective and from a practical perspective. You don't really want certain people, not that they're bad people, but to, you know, be the face of your company um, with a new potential hire. So you want to train a set of folks who, who know how to do interviews, who know what to say and what not to say. Um, it's important to put that place into place in the beginning because, like I said, you know, these the ghosts of these interviews loom for a long time after the interview's over and after the person's, you know, gone. It's it's you know, they're they're long stand 
statute of limitations. And it's just easier to put these things together in the beginning rather than trying to change things later on when people go, well, you know, this is the way we've always done it before, um, which is usually a bad answer. The way we've always done it doesn't work. You might as well just be kind of closing your eyes, shooting a, a bullet up in the air and hoping it's straight up and hoping exactly. it doesn't hit you, right? Exactly. Like, that's really what it is. I would like to add something on the training piece. Pre-write out the questions and then train everybody how to execute them properly within a specified time frame. Because what you want to do is you really want to create a scenario where essentially somebody comes in and you execute the interview for evidence, really not subjective small talk information that I see a lot of interviews do, right? A lot of conversations going around, I don't know, I mean, it seems like a good person. He told me a story about baseball or something like that. Things that can be tied to your corporate values. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's best to put thoughts, uh, you know, put thought into the kind of questions that you like. You know, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of startups bulk at, you know, having a list of questions to ask people. They don't like doing that. And I get it. I get it. I don't get it because a lot of times, again, I find that every interview turns out to be totally different. And then if you're really, truly trying to make the right decision for your company, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it based off of that, what happened before. You might get lucky. Putting thought into you know the objectives that you're trying to reach with your interviews and tailing these questions to reasonable business objectives. So rather than asking somebody, oh, you know, do you live alone? Do you have a family? Are you married? You can ask, you know, are you able to travel for this role? Are you able to work on weekends? Uh, those are those are objectively neutral questions that wouldn't have a tinge of any sort of discrimination or or you know. Um, it's where people get in trouble is where they say, well, because you have a family. Would you have a problem working on weekends? So like that right. extra thing that they add to it that gets them into exactly, trouble? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that's why you have to have a plan going in. You you have a list of questions and that you are able so that you're able to stay within the lanes essentially. Um, that's the way I look at it. It doesn't mean that you can't ask questions that are relevant to your culture. It's just to, you know, make sure that they're the right questions. That they're the right way of getting to the objective. How you ask the questions is the most important. Exactly. And that's where the training comes in, right? Exactly. Because you want to teach your people how to ask those questions right. in such a way that don't get you in trouble. Exactly. Now, you talked about offhanded comments or like feedback that you give people during right. the interview. Let's talk a little bit about that because that can come back and bite you too. You have to train people in such a way as to veer away from actually their natural way of you know, um, conversation. Uh, so, and the reason for that is an interview is not actually a conversation. Somebody wants a job, you're interviewing them for a position. So it is a little different. So you can't approach it in the same way. So some of the things that you might say to people offhand, like, you know, for example, uh, recently there was a Asian American candidate and, um, uh, before the interview ended, somebody said, you must love sushi. Um, now he, it could have meant anything. It could have just met, you know, he looks like he likes food. But, you know, the way you make put that question forth, that creates problems for you, even if you didn't mean it. So that's why you train people to, again, try to approach things objectively and be a little more direct about what you're actually asking. That you're asking about, you know, what your business objectives <laughs> you must are. must love sushi. Yeah. So, I mean, you oh don't want to ask around that question. I mean, just saying, uh, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's why it's important to train people and prepare them. And, and I do think Those are the assumptions piece. Exactly. That gets you into trouble more often than not. Right. I assume I know about you because what my perception right. is. Right, exactly. 
right? I mean, unconscious bias, all yeah. that stuff. But, you know, and again, it might not even have been the cause of the comment, but because someone was unprepared, someone didn't get the correct training, they create liabilities for their company. And even beyond, you know, bias and, and things of that nature, you know, there's things like, you know, we have people who overpromise things in interviews because they weren't prepared. A manager goes in and says, this is a real case from 2005 where um, a manager during an interview said, oh, you'll be making a lot more at your current position. Now, they didn't do the wrong thing. It's illegal to ask what people made before their prior salary history now. Um, but what he just said was, you know, you'll be making a lot more here without any other information, without actually knowing what their compensation was going to be. When this person started, it turns out that her compensation was a lot lower than um, her prior position. She tried to go back to her prior position, couldn't, complained multiple times, quit, and then sued for um, promissory fraud and was awarded over a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Assumptions bite you in the ass yeah, every exactly. time. Exactly. What about giving somebody real-time feedback? So saying like, oh, wow, yeah, I think you're a great candidate for us. Right. So that, you know, especially in this environment where we're trying to get people through the door and great, get great candidates, yeah. you know, it's easy to veer in that route and be positive and, um, you know, uh, have a lot of, pra and that's kind of natural. You're trying to be a nice person. You're trying to be complimentary, but you know, that's another thing that a lot of, you know, serial litigants that I've seen tend to grasp on then that, Hey, they, they told me during the interview that I was a perfect fit. I was a fantastic candidate. I have great experience. And then I get, didn't get the job. I, I must have not gotten the job because of this other thing they said about, you know, hey, um, you know, it, uh, do you, you know, uh, it says here that, you know, you like you like going on your church retreats or something like that. You know, it's some offhand comment and they'll say, you know, anything that we talk about as a defense in terms of a legitimate business reason is is, you know, um, it's not real because, you know, you said I was a great candidate. I didn't get hired. It must be discriminatory. So let's talk about releasing a candidate yeah. so they don't fit. The answer is not ghosting. In my opinion, I've seen people get really, really angry about the fact that they got ghosted and then that anger brews and then that turns into something. Right. That might be the catalyst that gets them to call right. an attorney and say, hey, look, at, I think I'm being discriminated against. Not giving feedback is not a good answer. So how do I release somebody? Unfortunately, giving too much feedback can also be an issue. So, yeah, yeah sorry bad lawyer answers to these things, you know, it, it so what I generally recommend and not everybody likes these, um, is to give a fairly neutral and short statement that, um, thank you for interviewing. We've decided to pursue other candidates. Um, something short and simple like that. Um, that's neutral. That's objective. There's nothing in there that could, you know, be interpreted, you know, as, as being, you know, unlawful or, discriminatory or anything of that nature. Um, and, you know, it doesn't invite necessarily further conversation because sometimes if you do give feedback, one, you know, the feedback can be interpreted in different ways. And two, you know, it could lead to further conversation in which you might say something else, you might write something else inadvertently that creates an issue for you. Um, and this also, you know, it stop if someone becomes angry or belligerent and res responds in a certain way, you can have your HR people or you essentially respond in the same way. We decided to pursue other candidates. So that's neutral. So, I mean, it's kind of a lawyer, lawyer answers to these things, but I think it's, it's effective. And, you know, it's especially with younger candidates or newer, can less experienced candidates, shouldn't say younger, more, less experienced candidates. Um, you know, 
some companies do feel the need to give guidance or give feedback and which is all good and great as long as that feedback is you know careful vetted objective um i think that's okay objective but is the key thing exactly yeah. exactly exactly or getting them to bow out exactly right like i find that a lot of times when you tie your interview questions to your values and you start having these conversations and getting deeper into it and people are not in alignment with your values they will bow out and then guess what they get closure and then they move on to something else. Right. I find that when candidates have the power to, to say no, that it becomes much easier pill to swallow. Right. It's it's empowering, right? Yeah, it that, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I, I and I think the reason I like a more neutral um, you know, uh communication with, with a candidate that you decided not to hire, it's the same reason I like having prepared questions sometimes or most of the time. Um, because you know, this way everyone's being treated equally. You're not asking certain people. Uh, questions that you're not answering others. You're not giving some people a response and feedback and help or whatever you perceive as help and others not because, uh, you know, any sort of disparate treatment between different people, you know, creates issues, uh, risk for potential claims of, you know, discri discrimination, disparate treatment. On that, being objective as opposed to subjective, eliminating scorecards. I think scorecards are based on opinion. How do I rank this person on a scale from one to five? That's all opinion. Right, exactly. And, and you know, that's, <laughs> there's another point, you know, I make. There's two different schools of thought on whether you should take notes during an interview. Um, some people say, no, don't, because, you know, sometimes your interview notes, they can, if there's a lawsuit, it can come out in discovery, and what you write might be misinterpreted. For example, if um, this is a real-life scenario. You should write it down and, like, you should record them. Now, I, I tend to disagree with that. Okay. Now, because well, what happens- if you have a bad interview process, you don't want to record it. But if you have a really solid right. one, wouldn't that cure litigation? It doesn't cure litigation. I mean, it, it- But it lessens the ability for that person to win if it's not a valid claim. I mean, it depends. Um, you know, what I've noticed is that in, usually when you get a demand or a claim of this nature, people- Honestly, don't I, I haven't run into anybody that's just made something up completely. Yeah. Something was completely not said, never said. It was usually something that's taken out of context or being interpreted a certain way. Yeah. There's some grain of truth behind it, which is why you have training and preparation. But, you know, with note taking, I think if you really want to take notes or take a record at an interview, make sure that you're keeping it objective and you're not using any, I don't like using acronyms. Acronyms yeah. that you shorthand during an interview, you know, you write down in your handwritten notes, which happens because you're trying to drive down quickly, can be easily misinterpreted. You should be writing down exactly the words that came exactly. out of your It's no interpretation. We're getting pretty close on time, Victor. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? Training and preparation. Um, make sure, you know, the interview process is the start of someone's employment life with you. You want to start that out right. So you want that to be, and that's where your risk also begins. So you want to prepare and get your folks ready. So train, train your, uh, train and select your hiring and interviewing team. Um, prepare, you know, prepare outlines for them, prepare question outlines, prepare a don't say outline. And three, end your, you know, if a candidate's not hired, provide a um, neutral, objective response informing them that they were not hired. And there you go. Boom. Victor, thanks so much for your All time right, investment no today. Thanks and we'll welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which uh, members of the audience can find you, your firm, what have you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can reach out to me um, by email, by phone, um, on LinkedIn as well. Um, would happy to grab coffee or lunch with anybody who wants to.
Perfect. And we'll have the links in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this shows for you. And we want to continue to bring valuable content to you every week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at rickettstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Varun Puri. Varun is the co-founder of Yodali. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Jerome.